0: Welcome to the CODcast. I'm Bruce Moe of Commonwealth Magazine, and our focus today is going to be the transportation tax debate coming on Beacon Hill. The business community has just weighed in on what it thinks should happen, and we're talking with Jim Rooney, the president and CEO of the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce, and Michael Widmer, a longtime analyst of state government. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks. Let's start with you Jim. At the request of House Speaker uh, Bob DeLeo, you tried to see if there was any appetite in the business community for a unified message on taxes.
1: What did you find? Well, uh, we put together a statewide coalition of business organization leaders from Western Mass, Cape Cod, North, and South Shore. Um, and we found that there's a lot of geographic differences in the way that people think about this issues uh, and uh, the problems and the complexity that they all face. Uh, and that there is not unanimity of opinion. We didn't expect to find that. Uh, but generally, uh, across the board, there's a feeling that we need to do better and more revenue is needed to support uh, the Commonwealth's effort on both on roadway and on public transportation. And
0: you you felt like so the, the message the the message that you take away is
1: more revenue is needed. Well, more revenue is needed because there's uh, work that needs to be done, uh, not just in the greater Boston but across the Commonwealth. Whether you're talking about the bridges uh, down Cape Cod or some of the. Uh, roadways and bridges out in western Massachusetts. Um, Everyone understands that there's projects in their uh, regions of the state. Everyone understands in some form uh, that we are underserved by uh, our public transportation systems and there are um, conditions. Uh, of roadways and bridges that need to be fixed, and they're experiencing congestion in different ways. Um, so people, know, people get that, and I think that, uh, in summary, there's a moment of readiness to say, okay, what are we going to do about it? And I think there's an appetite to accept the fact that it's going to take more money. Mike, how, how unusual
0: is that for the business community to sort of make that statement, that there, this is a moment that we need to do something?
2: Well, I think over the years, at various times, the business community has taken a leadership position on more revenues, uh, particularly for transportation. We had a broad coalition six years ago in 2012 and thirteen around the need for new transportation revenues. Uh, Ultimately, that led to the small increase in the gas tax. So there's precedent, but it's not always easy because uh, the business community is very diffuse and scattered and of many opinions and so in this case i applaud jim in the chamber for taking this leadership position and i think it's a key time because clearly the house and senate are uh, looking for support around new revenues and having uh, at least a significant part of the business community and environmental community and transportation community Position to support uh, the legislature. I think that's an important thing.
0: So while, uh, Jim, while there has been sort of widespread support for new revenue, there has been some business groups that aren't going going along even with that. They're saying what the governor is proposing, a transportation bond bill, uh, TCI, the Transportation Climate Initiative, which would place a price on the carbon in automobile gas lanes. They're sort of saying We'll stick with the governor. That seems to be what we need right now, um, and I'm specifically referring to Associated Industries of Massachusetts, um, uh, the Competitive Partnership, uh, and I'm and the Mass High Tech Council. Um, what about that
1: opposition?
0: You couldn't couldn't bring them over the finish line with you?
1: Um, no, I mean, I, I, and we didn't expect. to. I mean, Mike hit it on the head. There's a a very diverse set of opinions, uh, political leanings, um, geographic considerations in this in this debate. Uh, various industries think about this differently. Um, so we didn't expect that we would bring everyone, as you say, across the finish line and and agree with that position. You know, and, and as I think about it, and, and Mike has done public policy work. I've done public w- policy work for decades. That's okay. I mean, if nothing else, this stimulated a very public conversation, different points of view. We don't profess to have the market cornered on good ideas or approaches. But I do think in all cases, people recognize that accepting the levels of congestion, accepting the condition of our public transportation and roadways uh, is not where we should be. And um, even in those cases that you mentioned, they have what they say should be done. And the public, the legislated, elected elitists can make a judgment: is that a right, right approach? And that's where it should take place.
0: And in a big picture sense, it seems like this debate that's coming—it's not so much within the legislature, although there will be a debate there—but it's going to be between the be between the legislature and the governor on this issue. And the governor has made a few points that are they're interesting. And I think you agree with him on a few of these, Jim. That. We've got enough capital funds for the next five years to carry out the plan we have in place now. And the, but you're sort of saying that the operating budget is feeling signs of pressure, and the capital budget doesn't include some projects that you think need to be put on the drawing boards. And also, after that five years, we're sort of a little bit in limbo about what's going to happen. And I, And the, the other thing the governor often says is that T doesn't have the capacity— you know, if we throw more money at it, they don't have the capacity to turn things around that
1: quickly. Address, address that issue if you could. Uh, well, I don't think there's a that issue in that question. There's a, there's a, a couple variety issues. of issues. Yeah, you're, right. Uh, but, you're right. But let me start by saying this. Um, first and foremost, we applaud the governor's political positioning right out of the gate of accepting responsibility for the T in the public transportation system, something governors don't usually do. Um, so we applaud that. The second thing is that we feel empowered to make the recommendations that we're making today because Mass Start and the MBTA are better managed today than they were five years ago. We feel like they can do the job and they can do more. So it is based on that that we come out of the gate and say, let's try to push for more. Uh, specifically on these funding dimensions and maybe some differences, we do agree that the capital plan, uh, as constructed and put out in public, uh, is funded to execute the plan that the administration has put forward. We have enough money to do what we say we're going to do. The question is, should they be doing more in the next five years? And we would argue yes, based on uh, projects that are unfunded in the short term, uh, all over the state. Highway, bridges, transit. Uh, and we would suggest that, even using their own data, that there's a financial cliff in five years. So, all of the projects we talk about, whether it's Cape Cod Bridges, Alston Landing, West Station, uh, rail connections across the state, just last week the conversation about commuter rail and electrification, those are interesting to talk about, but there's no funding for any of those. And I would argue that we have a responsibility to talk about how are those things going to be funded, even if we don't need the money for 5 or 10 years, how are we going to put in place a strategic finance plan to pay for those things and get them going over a 10, 20-year period? So, uh, and Mike, I'm going to
0: get to you in a minute, but I wanted to give uh, Jim a chance to sort of outline uh, this coalition. You all sort of took a position on broad themes, but then the Greater Boston Chamber then did a, your own specific recommendation to the legislature on what should be done.
1: Could you summarize that
0: quickly for yeah, us? Yeah, I'll
1: do it quickly. I mean, uh, the, the core of our recommendation is around Massachusetts embracing a 21st century mobility roadway pricing strategy. What is it that we're going to do to pay for what we need today and long into the future and stop this lurching from financial crisis to financial crisis? Uh, So we've called for a one-year commission established by the legislature uh, bringing in uh, private sector expertise to say where and how should we apply technology and where and how should we implement tolls, congestion pricing, managed lanes, any of the Uh, applications of that technology that people are talking about. That's the core, a future-ready technology-based system that prepares us for when our primary source today, the gas tax, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, That's what everyone thinks is going to happen, so we need to be ready for that. That doesn't get us short-term money, so the other quick dimensions of short-term money is what we consider to be a modest increase in the gas tax—fifteen cents, five cents per year over three years—and uh, a fee on TNCs, Uber, Lyft, uh, again uh, that we would consider modest, maybe a dollar or a dollar fifty uh, per ride. Important in that concept is allow the money to stay at home. So if a ride is taken in Worcester or Springfield, that money should stay out there to help them with their versions of what their mobility problems are. And. You're also supportive
0: of the governor's transportation climate initiative proposal, right? We're
1: supportive of the concept, uh, and I think many groups are supportive of the concept. Uh, there's a lot of details that need to um, be understood about that specifically. How much, when, what what, what will this look like? Um, and those details are being negotiated with other states. Um, the earliest that could be implemented is 2022, more likely – Uh, longer out into the future. Uh, We don't want to wait. Uh, This is 2019. Maybe that gets decided in 2022. Maybe it gets implemented in 2023. We can't wait that long. Mike, so how do you see this playing out on Beacon Hill? Uh,
0: The legislature, the House is talking about taking up a bill over the next several weeks here in November. What do you see happening from your years of experience of looking at that body up there?
2: Let me. make a quick comment on the revenue discussion first and say that it's really critical to step back and look at the needs that the state faces in public transit around the state highways, bridges, expansions, new projects against our revenue streams. I was a member of the Transportation Finance Commission in 2007. We identified a $20 billion gap, shortfall over 20 years. A few months ago, a Better City organization updated that study, showed that that gap still exists. The chamber's recent work and proposals have done a great analysis as well, showing the gaps in terms of highway funding, bridges, MBTA operating and capital. That's the picture that is behind this scene. So when we talk about revenues, we need to see the other piece of this, and Jim has touched on this in his comments, which is we have needs that are going unfunded. So this bond bill is fine, but there's all sorts of projects and highway uh, upgrades and so forth that are going to hit – that will hit the the cutting board. In terms of what I think is going to happen, it does seem that the legislature is positioned to do something on transportation. The House presumably before they adjourn later this month the Senate maybe early into uh, 2020. You then presumably would have something on the governor's desk, perhaps in the first quarter or April, May timeframe. The legislature uh, usually uh, takes (laughs) many, many months on things like this, but I think they are anxious to get something to the governor's desk. How he plays this, I really couldn't uh, couldn't project. But I think there will be uh, between a significant share of the business community, the environmental community, the transportation community, a lot of support and pressure on the governor to sign what the legislature sends him. In the end, I mean, he's a popular governor, uh, and uh, this will give him uh, room to a- attend to more of the projects uh, than are available, than the funding's available in the bond bill.
0: But I know it's hard to speculate but it seems to me there is pressure building uh, on him to go along with this in some fashion. And yet he doesn't like, you know, associating with taxes or new fees and that sort of thing. Although he's sort of, he's with TNCs, for example, he's, he says, I want to gather data on more information about these trips, sort of implying that they might use that data for something. But you think he'll actually... Veto it or fight it or
2: no, I'm not saying that I, I No,
0: I'm, I'm trying to okay I'm trying No, to I think
2: at, I think you touched on the fact that uh, on the one hand There's going to be a lot of pressure for him to go along with this on the other He's clearly very cautious about taxes. is cautious generally So I think this is going to be it's why I can't project what he's going to do And I suspect at this point he doesn't know what he's going to do is you know it depends on the shape of the bill I mean, if it isn't just a revenue bill but includes some important reforms, you mentioned the, uh, the capacity of the MBTA to get work out, if the bill includes some ways to address that issue. I think the more robust, so to speak, it is, the more likely it is he'll sign it. But I think it's what he does is very much up in the air at this point.
0: That's a good point. I mean, one of the things you mentioned, Jim, and clearly is on the table, is the governance of the T is another issue that the legislature has to deal with before mid-year next year because the Oversight Board is going out of business then. There are a bunch of other issues. What do you think the governor will do if a bill like you're envisioning reaches his desk, Jim?
1: Yeah, I I think Mike hit something on the head in his opening uh, comments about the various communities of interest that are in support of doing something. I mean, you've got the environmental community, you've got housing advocates, you've got labor, you've got a lot of people that are saying we need to do something. And we're having a good debate. We're having a good debate about what is it, what are the types of projects and investments that we want to make for the Commonwealth, uh, and how should we pay for those. That's a good, healthy debate. Uh, amongst strange bedfellows, quite frankly, a lot of constituencies that, you know, sometimes are at odds with each other. Um, So I think with that dynamic as the backdrop, it is enabling for the legislature and even the governor in this case to have so much of that input applied uh, to the process and ultimately to a bill that might get to the governor's desk. We have no um, misgivings about whether or not what we propose will be the bill. Uh, But some bill will get to the governor's desk that applies money for transportation. And with all of that, all of those constituencies behind it, um, it'll be a tough veto if he decides to do that. Um, That's my sense of it.
0: And do you, how much of it do, do you think this coalescing this debate, it's been percolating for quite a while, probably ever since the winter of 2015 in a way, but this derailment this summer on the Red Line seemed to galvanize public opinion about the T. Do you do you two see it that way too, or is this just a confluence of a long series of events over time?
2: No, I I think what you're what you're positing there, Bruce, uh, is accurate. You know, we had a chance we being Beacon Hill to do some significant revenues for transportation in 2013, and Uh, Without going through the gory details, Governor Patrick pulled the rug out at that point. So we ended up with a three cent increase in the gas tax, clearly inadequate. There was the um, uh, indexing it to inflation but the voters repealed that. So the legislature wasn't going to go back immediately for new revenues after that. However, the winter of 2015 and then as you say the derailments and the continued problems one after another after another. I'm one of the longest red line riders in Massachusetts history, and uh <laughs> literally, and so I can speak to this uh and so I think you're right. I mean, the kind of attention this has gotten has really helped pull together a an agreement that we need to do something on transportation. so the governor's saying the bond bill is sufficient. All sorts of groups uh and I certainly share that. Uh, from outside and the legislative leaders are saying, no, that's not sufficient. But there is the debate, as Jim said, and the focus on this. And I think you're right. The T and its troubles has really uh, helped propel this forward.
1: Go ahead, Jim. Can I make a point about the bond bill? I mean, it's discussed as if it's some form of new money when really it's an authorization to borrow money to fund what you said you were already going to do. So there is not $18 billion dollars it is going to become available to say, okay, let's do these things that aren't funded. This is funding to do the things we said we already were going to do. Uh, and what we're saying is that that's great. Bond bills come up every couple of years. This is just a mechanism uh, to pay for our plan. Uh, and I, I, I think that's an important point because to say that that's enough is saying that, you know, that we agree with just a list of things that are going on now and the other projects don't need funding. But... Oh, but I'm look- just
2: going to underscore that. That is a really critical point. Bond bills are authorizations. And it's been treated as if somehow we're raising new revenues to support all enhanced uh, our transportation investments uh, across the board. And that's simply not the case. And in the bond bill is more than a, a billion dollars in revenues through something that are called grant anticipation notes, which is borrowing against future federal highway aid which we've done in the past, but that's a form of borrowing. Uh, And it's a way of not facing the reality that we uh, need new revenues.
0: So I'm still maybe looking too far in the future, but while I've got you guys here, I want to do it a little bit. Baker has uh, two issues that he might be grappling with, and I've sort of – he has this sort of uh, – my sense is he doesn't want to do taxes, but then he does something like this transportation climate initiative, which is not a tax – but has basically the same effect. And so he's fine with that. Um, he also says, and Jim, maybe you can address this, that he often says this in a connection with his bond bill for the uh, T, um, or the, the, uh, the capital funding plan, that the T is struggling to spend the money it has now. So the implication is, if you throw more money at them, it just, they just won't get the job done. What do you say to that?
1: Well, um, uh, that one is, it, it, that has to be an unacceptable answer. Um, you know, Anyone in business who has an increased volume of activity or need or demand, or very highly specialized demand, uh, makes decisions. They decide, do I increase my, my capacity strategically or do I buy the assistance of some outside help to support me? So the T is at a crossroads, and they need to decide. If they uh, have determined the capacity is not there to deliver the projects and the service that we need, then we need a strategic plan to deal with the hurdles that get us to the point where we do have the capacity and not just say, sorry, we can't do it. Uh, and maybe that means... Saying to the engineering community, the project managing community, instead of doing it in house of the T, we're going to ask you to do it. There's ways to do this. This isn't reinventing the wheel. It's done all over the country uh, and in other countries where we rely um, uh, on the private sector. On this question of tax versus fee, uh, just quickly, I mean, Mike and I have been around for a long time to hear uh, governor after governor say it's not a tax, it's a fee, it's a user. Uh, It's some other thing other than a tax. At the end of the day, uh, when you go to the gas pump and fill up, it'll be an increment more that you'll pay for gas. Call it whatever you want.
0: Uh,
2: May I pick up on the capacity issue at the T? Please do. And, uh, you know, this governor, he got elected, he got reelected because there's widespread appreciation that he's a strong public sector manager, manager. Now, obviously, there are, There have been various examples where uh, the administration has fallen short. But he's got a strong record on solving problems. So if we don't have the capacity to spend the money we need to spend at the T, then that's a problem, as Jim was saying, that we need to solve. And This is a governor who's got a whole career uh, in government and out in solving problems. So I share uh, Jim's and, uh, frustration, certainly mine, with the, with, with the argument that somehow we don't need new revenues because we don't know how to spend them. I mean, that is, is not
0: acceptable. And yet, this last Monday at the T meeting, there were some figures distributed about how the staffing levels at the T it just had from 2015 to present. Staffing levels had actually declined from 2015. And just this past year, fiscal 19, which ended in June, uh, was we were getting back to the level we were at in 2015. That was mind boggling to me that an agency struggling to do a lot more was trying to do it with fewer employees. And, but one of the key thing takeaways was last year was the first time over that whole period where they hired more people than they lost through attrition and dismissal and what have you, so in other words, they were it was sort of like shoveling sand against the tide. They kept losing people. Now that was astounding to me. Now you, you but you and Jim, you talk about saying, "Well, bring it in from the outside." They sort of sometimes do that, and then they get into problems with that too. They can't manage that process. Like the Green Line extension, it just ballooned away out of cost. Yeah. So. I, I think they're getting a handle on it. They brought in a team to oversee that green line extension. I think it's like close to 80 people now, whereas before they had like four. Uh, but they do have a problem with this. It's not.
1: It's not made up. Yeah, uh, two things, and I think the points you make are both related, um, and this speaks to what Mike said about you know the governor's capacity to solve problems. Uh, in 2015, uh, they looked at what was going on operationally at the T and um, how to fix the way that the T is managed. And in many cases, there were too many people doing something that they didn't need to do. So um, they took, for example, the materials process and they outsourced that. And so there's probably um, uh, some... Uh, reduced staffing and so forth. But what's happened both on the operating side and on the capital project delivery side is an increased level of complexity and technology. You mentioned the Green Line, Orange Line vehicles, uh, fare collection systems, uh, train control systems. If you look at those projects, these are incredibly complex pro- projects to manage. No longer are people just dealing with steel and concrete and and the like. Uh, so, In staffing, they have to think about not just having project managers. They need technical project managers, people who need – who have the ability to manage very complex projects and the delivery of services using highly technical equipment and maintaining – that highly technical equipment. So I think there's a shift going on, and this is why they need a big strategy on their capacity both on the capital operating side and what defines the way they deliver these services. And this is going on in every industry, uh, this application of technology. So that's why I say, okay, if capacity is a question, what and the right number of people is just part of it, is who are these people and what kinds of skill sets do they need? Can we get them? Do we have to buy them? the third party or do we have to have an in-house program that trains people to do the kind of work we need them to do? It's just not your grandfather's tea anymore. Right.
0: Uh, And I'm just gonna add
2: I think the tea was in even worse shape than the public knows internally if you will from a management point of view when Baker took over as governor and so I think the challenge which was uh, people recognize I think from outside is large, but I think it's even much larger to fix the T uh, than is uh, widely understood. So uh, I think Baker deserves credit for putting in place the pieces, but we then need, he needs to uh, continue that and put the capacity piece together.
0: And last question for you, Jim, um, I'm just sort of curious, you put out The business community sort of put out this presentation, and the Greater Boston Chamber put out its specific proposal. Did you talk with legislative leaders about that proposal? Have you briefed them on it? And what's
1: their feedback? What are you sensing from them after that? Yeah, um, we've been meeting with the legislative leaders for months about this issue, uh, including in advance of the release of the report. Uh, There were no surprises. We met with Secretary Pollack, the Speaker, the Senate President. Uh, other senior elected officials to say, this is what uh, we're finding as a coalition, this is what the chamber's position will be when we put it out and uh, waited a few weeks so they could collect their thoughts on it. Generally positive, Um, I think uh, if there's a place where there's a great deal of receptivity, it's on this notion of creating this future forward-looking 21st century pricing model um, that everyone can get behind. Uh, Because, well, there's a lot of ideas out there about, well, let's put tolls here and let's put congestion pricing there. There's really nothing you can write in legislation and start doing on Monday morning. You need a plan. Where will the gantries go? What will the pricing be? What are the geographic and economic inequalities associated with pricing? Um, So you need a plan, and I think there's a lot of receptivity Uh, to creating that plan for the 21st century, because the last thing legislators want to do is deal with this on an annual basis. I mean, this is a hot issue. Right. And you mentioned you met with Secretary Pollack. What was her reaction? Uh, She understood where we were coming from. I mean, obviously, um, you know, the secretary uh, is very articulate at at describing uh, all of the good work that is going on. And by the way, I push for this uh, and I'm an advocate of these weekend diversions, for example, to uh, demonstrate a greater sense of urgency uh, that, I- that mirrors the experience of riders. And I think they're starting to do more of that. Uh, so the Secretary and I talk a lot about uh, all of the good things that are going on. Um, and, you know, the way that we position it is that. Um, they're starting to deliver some results and we need to advocate for the resources they need to do even more. And was she receptive to that? Well, you know, they have a plan. Um, and it is the bond bill, the capital investment program that they have, uh, TCI, um, they're sticking to it. And
0: and Mike, before we started the podcast, we were just sort of chit-chatting about 2013 and and Current Secretary Pollack was then at Northeastern pushing for that new revenue then. What would you describe her role in in that effort at that time?
2: Oh, she was playing a leading role. She was at Northeastern University, and uh, they were doing a lot of good analytical work, looking at different uh, options for raising revenues. And they were also doing some political work. She was part of a, a group that brought experts, political experts, Uh, from other states who had had successful efforts to raise transportation revenue so she was immersed uh, as she is in her current job uh, in all of the, the discussions and the efforts to raise new revenue
0: and just to be clear she was an advocate then and now she's working for the governor Well, I'll leave it at that. I want to thank our guests, Jim Rooney of the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce and Michael Widmer, and I'm Bruce Moe. We'll see you next week. Thank you.